Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to the book of 2 Timothy. We're going to be in 2 Timothy 3 today as we talk about the scriptures. And we sort of talked about that broadly last week and just the idea of devotions and spending time with God and, and getting to know God better. But over the next several weeks, we're going to be specifically looking at different disciplines. This week, it'll be the scriptures. Next week, it'll be prayer. You kind of get the gist of where we're going with this. Today, we're going to talk about the scriptures. Why? Why should we read the scriptures? Why is that important? Why should we make that a habit and part of our life? And to do that, we're going to look at the the Apostle Paul's last words to his disciple Timothy. Uh, 2 Timothy is the last letter, at least that we know of, that the Apostle Paul wrote. If he wrote others, we don't have them. And it is written shortly before his death. He will be executed by the Roman Empire. This is in the, the same period of time as we were looking at in 1 Peter, when the government has turned against Christians and feels like they're a threat. The Apostle Paul's been arrested, he's been tried, and he will be executed. We don't know how long after this letter that he wrote to Timothy, but it's sometime probably in the next several months. The Apostle Paul will be beheaded. So this is the last thing that he's going to say to Timothy. And I just want you to look quickly, we're not going to read all of this, but if you look at chapter 3, verse 1, Paul begins this section, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. And the rest of this chapter is all talking about that, these terrible times. What what do we do in the midst of these terrible times? And we're going to pick up in verse 10. The first nine verses are generic things he talks about what's going to happen. Now he's going to specifically talk to Timothy about what happened to him, Paul, and what could happen to him, Timothy. So read along with me from verse 10 down to the end of the chapter, verse 17. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, My faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work." So Paul's told Timothy about just some of the the bad things that are going to be happening in the faith in the days to come. And then in verse 10, he says, hey, you know the kinds of things that have happened to me, because that's true. Timothy traveled with Paul on some of his missionary journeys. He saw these things happening, and Paul reminds him of three specific cities. He said, you know, you know what happened in Antioch, you know what happened in Iconium, and you know what happened in Lystra, and we know too, because it's written down in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 13, Paul goes to the city of Antioch in Pisidian, um, and he preaches. He's there for a couple weeks. Some people believe he starts to form a church, uh, and then there's a bit of an uprising, and people are sick of him, and, and they actually escort him out of the city. They take him out of the whole region, and they kick him out. They exile, they expel him from the, the, the region 
of Antioch. And so he leaves and he goes to the city of Iconium. And he does the same thing. These cities are all in the, in the middle of modern day Turkey. He does it again. He starts preaching. He starts teaching. People believe. He starts to form a church. And this time they don't escort him to the border. They threaten to kill him. He finds out that there is a plot afoot. They're not going to exile him. They're going to execute him. And so he and his companions leave. And they leave the city of Iconium, and they go to the city of Lystra. And he does the same thing. He preaches, he teaches, he begins to form a church. Things get together. There's some crazy stuff happens in this city. Um, But in the end, they don't just threaten to kill him. They stone him. And they stone him, they think, to death. They stone him, they believe he is dead, and they drag his body outside the city walls, and they toss him out. They think he's dead. We, we don't actually know if he's dead or not. It says they think he's dead. The believers come out later, gather around him, pray over him, and he gets up. Now, was he dead and God resurrected him? Did God somehow protect him so they thought he was dead? But nobody who gets stoned, I don't care whether you get killed or not, nobody who gets stoned just gets up. I mean, God does this miraculous thing with Paul. That's what he reminds Timothy of. Remember in Antioch when I got kicked out. Remember in Iconium when they threatened to kill me. Remember in Lystra when they did. That's what's happening. Yet Paul says, the Lord rescued me from all of them. Now, there's two words in the language of the Bible that we translate as rescue. And I've told you before, this language, it it loves to like shove words together. Like, you know, half or two-thirds of the words in this language are made up of other little words. There's a word for rescue, which is the word for to lift something, and the word for out. And so it means you you lift it out. It also can be used to mean remove, but usually it means rescue. And you get the idea of what it means. It means I got taken out. When the Bible speaks of God saving his people in Egypt, that's the word it uses. He rescued them. He, He pulled them out of Egypt. He lifted them out. Peter's in prison in the book of Acts. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, an angel shows up and his chains fall off and the door swings open and the angel leads him out into the street. And then the angel disappears. And Peter says, oh, I thought this was a dream. (laughs) Wait a minute. God sent an angel. This is all true. God sent an angel to rescue me. And this is the word he uses, to take me out of the prison. That's not the word Paul uses. That's not even the normal word for rescue in the Bible. This word, which is the common word we use when we speak of God rescuing people, does not mean to remove them. It's the word to draw, meaning to drag or to pull, like we draw water out of a well, or, you know, the the pirates had to draw their ships up on the the sand. It's the word to draw and the word to myself. The word most commonly used in the scriptures when it speaks of God rescuing people means he grabs them to himself, not he takes them out of the problem. Paul says, God rescued me in all these. He drew me to himself. He he protected me and he walked me. He walked with me through this, but he didn't remove me from it. And you see that in the Bible all the time. Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den. God doesn't take him out of the lion's den. God's in the lion's den with him, protecting him. You see this all the time. Paul tells Timothy, God rescued me. He he took a hold of me, drew me to himself. 
He hung on to me in the midst of all these things. And I don't know about you, but I think, thank you, God, that I do not have the Apostle Paul's life. Thank you for not calling me to be like the Apostle Paul, except for verse 12, because the very next words out of his mouth to Timothy are, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Paul tells Timothy, all this stuff you saw about me, all these things that happened, all the things I told you about previously, like they're going to happen to you too, son. If you want to follow God, then you should expect trouble. You should expect that you are going to suffer. Now, everybody suffers. The world has fallen. There's suffering everywhere. But you should expect as a follower of God. Notice, he doesn't just say Timothy. Everyone, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You should expect suffering because you follow God. And so in verse 14, finally, like he's told us all these things, all of this that's happened to him. He's warned Timothy, this is going to happen to you. He's told him, God rescued me, meaning he took a hold of me. Not he picked me up and took me out, and I didn't have to go through it. But he went through it with me. He hung on to me. He's told him all that. Now, finally, in verse 14, he tells us what to do. Okay, so in light of these terrible things that are happening and that are going to happen, what should Timothy do? But as for you, continue. Not change, not do something different. Continue in what you have learned and become convinced of. Paul tells Timothy, you need to keep doing what you're doing. You need to keep doing the same things you've been doing. You need to keep doing what you know is good and right. And he gives him two reasons. Because you know who you learned it from, and you know what you learned. And I assume the who is Paul. You know who you, Paul's the one who taught him all these things. He traveled with Paul, Paul poured into him. I think Paul's telling him like, you know I'm telling you the truth. You know I wouldn't lie to you about these things. You've seen my life. You know that how I live matches what I've taught. You know who you learned it from. And the whole rest of this passage is about what Timothy learned. You know how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures. Paul tells Timothy, you've got to continue with what you know from Scripture. You've got to keep doing what Scripture has told you to do. The Holy Scriptures, verse 15, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That's not what I expect him to say. I expect him to say the Scriptures that tell you how to be saved. I expect him to talk about salvation the way we so often think about salvation, which is that it's like this thing that happened. It's a moment. I believed in Jesus. I became a Christian. But that's not how the Bible usually talks about salvation. And it's certainly not the way he's talking about it here. The Bible talks about salvation the way we talk about marriage. If you said to me, oh, Jeff, you've got a, you've got a ring on. Are you married? I'm going to say, yes. I am not thinking of a day in 1989 when I said I do. I mean, that happened, don't get me wrong. There is a day in 1989 when I said I do. You know, on the morning of one day, I was not married, and on the afternoon of that day, I was. There is a point in time where I got married, but that's not marriage. 
Anyone who's married knows marriage is not a half an hour ceremony in which you exchange rings and say yes to some incredible promises that you will break within the next couple days. Absolutely no question. Marriage is a lifetime. Jeff, are you married? Yes. I'm not thinking of a particular moment in a particular day. I'm thinking of a life lived together with someone. That's what Paul means when he says, the scriptures make you wise for salvation. They make you wise to live out this life of following Jesus by faith. Did you hear that? They make you wise. I don't know about you. I often do this, and I suspect you do too, from conversations that I have with people. I come to the Bible as if it was an instruction manual or it was a guidebook. This morning we had trouble with a computer and a TV and getting things to match up. And so, you know, I got out my phone and I, I went and I looked up the program we were using. I, it was a guide. Okay, how do I make this program connect to the TV and show these things? And, and it had a series of steps and we did them and it worked. That's really not what the Bible is. That's there, don't get me wrong. There are places like that in the scriptures that simply tells us, do this and don't do that. But for most of life, the Bible does not tell you what to do. If you came to me one day and like, ah, oh, Pastor Jeff, I got this problem. My boss has become very erratic. He's made some bad decisions. Like he's harassed some people on our team. Some of our best people have quit. Like I'm not sure what to do. I'm thinking of killing him for the good of the country, for the good of the company, what do you think of that? I don't need to pray about that. I don't need to ask those probing, insightful questions to determine the state of your heart as you murder the man. Deuteronomy 5.17, thou shalt not commit murder, right? No. Okay, that, that is in the Bible, law. This is what you do. Can I kill my boss? No. Law, you can't do that. It's that we know that but you're not going to ask me that. You're going to ask me, oh, I'm not sure what to do. I'm thinking of quitting and getting another job. I'm not sure what to do. I'm thinking of going over his head and talking to, to his boss, our division head. Wow, there'll be consequences if I do that, but I don't think the division head knows what's going on. I'm thinking of filing a complaint with HR. I think some of what he did crosses a line and has gone into abuse, and I need to tell someone about this. There's no verse that tells you that. There's no second hesitations 2.12 that says, if thine boss shall act with irrationality towards you, thou shalt immediately find another employer. It's not there. But do you hear what Paul says? Not thus you know the Holy Scriptures that gives you all the rules. You know the Holy Scriptures that makes you wise. Because what you need in those circumstances is wisdom. You need to be the kind of person who makes good decisions. There's no rule to tell you whether you should keep that job. There's no rule to tell you whether you should go to the division head. There's no rule to tell you whether you should file or not file an ethics complaint. What you need for that is wisdom. And Paul says, this will give it to you. But again, it's not giving it to you as a rule. It's making you wise. The scriptures make you into the kind of person who knows how to make those decisions. The scriptures teaches you 
what God's voice sounds like. So that when you are praying and saying, oh, Lord, should I quit? Should I get another job? Lord, should I talk to the division head? When you're putting all that out there to God, how do you know his answer? How do you know whether all those voices you hear in your head are him? And wow, I've had some spectacularly uncomfortable conversations with people who claimed to be listening to him. Uh, Many years ago, I talked with a woman who told me with a straight face that she was leaving her husband and children because she'd found the love of her life. She'd found her soulmate. And so she was leaving her family and going off to be with him. And I'm like, you're what? That's forbidden. She's like, no, no, no. The Lord has told me. I have peace. No, no, he hasn't. Whatever voice you are listening to that tells you, I just want you to be fulfilled. I don't care who you destroy to get it. Wow, folks, that's the evil one. That is the voice of the evil one who all he wants to do is kill, steal, and destroy. And you are listening to him and thinking it's God. That's a bad bad place to be. How do you know what he sounds like if you haven't listened to his word? How do you be the kind of person who can make those decisions? Paul says to Timothy, who grew up with Paul, I mean, as a young man, he took off on these missionary adventures with Paul. He's known Paul for years and years. He has been discipled by the apostle Paul for years. And Paul's telling this guy, Wow, you need the Bible, Timothy. You've known the scriptures from infancy and you need to keep on doing that. You need to continue. You need to keep knowing them because they will make you wise. They'll make you the kind of person who can make the decisions that you're gonna have to make when tough times come. Because sure, there's law. We can't can't fight back. We can't take revenge. When these guys come to Paul and they threaten his life, How does he know whether to leave or not? How do you know whether to leave and go to another city or to stay there? Because God has called you to stand up to opposition. You need wisdom and you need to be able to hear his voice when you pray to him and ask him what to do. And you get both of those from the scriptures. The scriptures that make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Salvation like being married for your whole life from that moment when you accept Jesus all the way through until you're standing in front of him face to face. Paul says we need the scriptures. And he tells us why. Why do the scriptures do this in verse 16? All scripture is God breathed. That this is coming out of God's mouth. Do you remember when we did 2 Peter just a few weeks ago? Peter talked about this. He said, prophecy isn't just prophets telling you stuff. I mean, that's just fiction writers. Prophecy is when God's spirit bears people along. When God breathes out into people somehow, and we can't explain it, that there's this partnership between God's spirit and people so that they write what he wants written. And yet it's still them. Paul doesn't sound like Peter. Luke doesn't sound like John. And yet they write what God wants them to write. All scripture, all of it, not just the parts we like, not just the parts I happen to preach on that Sunday, all of it is breathed out by God. And it is all 
useful, Paul tells Timothy. I heard a, I've told you this story before, but I just love it in talking about reading the Bible. I was listening to this conference. It was a prophecy conference. So this is a, a Pentecostal denomination who are a bit more demonstrative in worship than we are, and they still have people in their churches that they call prophets. And so this was a prophet who had come to speak to the church, and he comes in, and I, he starts me. He's like, I am so impressed with you all how much you want to hear from God. Like everywhere I've gone today, I just flew in this morning, everywhere I've gone, everyone keeps asking me, brother so-and-so, I think his name was John or something, brother John, do you have a word from the Lord for me? Brother John, do you have a word from the Lord? He said, even in the airport when I got picked up, the first word's out of the guy's mouth. You know, he's got the little sign up and I go to him like, yeah, I'm so-and-so. Do you have a word for me? I am so impressed that you want to hear from God. Brothers and sisters, I have good news. I have thousands of words from God for you. And he starts railing on them. You want to hear from God, but he has written you and you won't read it. You want to know God's will for your life. There are thousands of pages of his will, but you don't want to read it. You just want me to tell it to you. Would you, would you be okay with that if you wrote one of your children this long letter and then they showed up and said, hey, what do you want me to do about that? Well, I already told you, oh, I can't be bothered to read that, Dad. I told you guys last week, I'm reading through the, the Old Testament, Exodus, Leviticus. I'm like freaking out. What's up with this? I go and I talk to my pastor and he says to me, go, go read Hebrews. Stop what you're doing. Read the book of Hebrews. Come back next week and then tell me if you have any problems. What if I'd come back? His name's Alan. What if I'd come back to Pastor Alan? I'm like, He's like, Jeff, okay, so, you know, do, do you, did you read Hebrews? Do you, do, do you need to talk about this? I'm like, no, nah, I couldn't be bothered to read it. You just tell me. But brothers and sisters, that's us. My, my Bible has 1,000, you know, the dictionary doesn't count. That's not part of the Bible. Weights, tapes, measures. 1,969 pages of words from God to all of us. And if you don't read it, why do you expect him to talk to you about all the other things that you ask him about? I mean, just seriously, would you? If you wrote someone, when I was in IT, in the mission, you're 20 years, this was one of the most frustrating things for me. People would write me, hey, I've got this problem with my computer. And I would write them back how to fix it. Like, yep, known problem, here's what you do. Step one, step two, step three. I would see them, they'd show up a couple days later and they'd hand me, here, here, here's that, that problem I told you about, can you fix it? I'm like, did what I wrote you not work? They're like, oh, I'm too busy, I don't have time to do that. Here, you just fix it. You're complaining that you didn't have your computer for the last three days and you're complaining that you need this computer. It's so important, but you can't be bothered to read what I wrote and do step one, step two, step three. It's going to take it two minutes. I suspect I feel just a tiny bit of God's pain. He has given us his word, his precious word. Scripture talks about his very great promises. This is what God has given to us. And so often we just frankly can't be bothered. I read this great quote as I was preparing for this. This is from um, uh, R.C. Sproul. You may know him. He's been dead for a number of years now. Um, but he, he was a theologian and a pastor, and he said this. 
He said, here then is the real problem with our negligence regarding God's word. We fail in our duty to read God's word, not so much because it's difficult to understand, not so much because it's dull and boring, but because it is work. Our problem is not a lack of intelligence or even a lack of passion. Our problem is that we're lazy. Amen. Amen. We are lazy. God has left us his word. Listen to how Paul finishes this. All of scripture is useful. It will teach you. When you don't know something, it will teach you. It will rebuke you. When you think you know something and you don't, it'll let you know that as well. Wow, there is stuff in scripture I wish he hadn't put in there. I didn't want to know that about myself. It will correct you. When you are going one way, it will move you back on the straight and narrow. It will train you in righteousness so the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, what I expect him to say is you'll be equipped, you'll be prepared to defend yourself. Because he's talking about all these terrible things that are gonna happen. All these terrible things that are happening in the world, all these terrible things that have happened to him, all these terrible things that he said are gonna happen to Timothy. If you wanna follow God, you can expect trouble. That is just a reality. I expect him to say, oh, scripture, scripture will teach you how to be prepared. Scripture will teach you how to have a good defense how to fight back. That's not what he says at all. You'll be equipped for every good work. Brothers and sisters, when the world, remember this is a time when the world has turned against Christians and it's getting bad. When the world turns against us, Paul says, we don't play defense. We play offense. We are out there doing good. All of it, all the good that can possibly be done when we are persecuted, when we are harmed, when our own government is coming after us in their case, we're not hunkered down. It's not, you know, the scriptures will train you so you'll have enough ammo and jerky to be ready when they come for you. You all will be prepared for every good work. The scriptures will prepare you to do good in terrible times. Not just to survive, but to thrive. The scriptures, Paul says, prepare us to thrive when the whole world is out to get us. We are still out there doing good because of the scriptures. But brothers and sisters, you got to read them. You got to put them in your heart and mind. There is no substitute. Remember, they make you wise. They don't tell you the answer. Again, you want to know if I can kill my boss, I can take you to the passage. No. But for most any other question you're going to ask about what to do in that company, there is not a passage I can take you to that says this is the answer. You need to be wise. That means you need to have let the scriptures be at work in you so that you become that kind of person. Like what we talked about last week. You know, if you go to the gym once a month, you're not getting any benefit. If you start training today to run a marathon tomorrow, it's not going to go well for you. It doesn't work like that. When things get hard, when they come after you, Timothy, anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, at least as far as we know up until now, at least it's not in the Bible anywhere, Timothy's life has not been threatened and he has not been stoned to death. But those things have happened to many other Christians, but not yet to him. 
And when Paul tells him, Timothy, these things are coming for you someday too. If you're going to follow God, it may not look like what happened to me, but you can expect trouble if you follow God in this fallen world. And Paul tells Timothy, you need to be doing this now so that when it happens, you're ready. you got to be training now for the marathon in six months. If you train now regularly for the next three, four, however many months, you can run the marathon. When it happens, you're ready. But wow, if you don't train now, you're not going to make it. And Paul says, for us as believers, this, this is what will make us wise for salvation. This is how we know God's voice. This is what corrects us and trains us and rebukes us and teaches us. And it's all here. But you've got to read it. You've got to get it into your heart and mind. Okay, this is, let me just, just heap a little more guilt on you, all right? This is the easiest time in all of history to do this. It's in a language you read. Do you know how rare that is? There's over 7,000 languages in the world. There, it's, it's hundreds that have the whole Bible in that language. So much of the planet does not have the Bible in a language they can read. You've got 100 different translations. Wow, if you don't like the one I read out of, you can find one that's a little more literal or a little less literal. You can find one that's a lot more literal or a lot less literal. You can find a paraphrase. You, you, there's so many options for us today. There is no other time in history than the English-speaking modern world when it has been so easy to know the scriptures. Most of you have Bibles at home. Most people in America, believe it or not, have a Bible somewhere. We just don't do anything with them. They're just gathering dust. If you don't want to read it, if reading's not your thing, listen to it. So in the front of my Bible is my Bible reading plan. I put that in there when I first became the pastor here and I knew we were staying. I put that in my Bible, so I had it when I was doing my, my devotions. But a bunch of years ago, I went to BibleGateway.com. I found my Bible reading plan on there because they've got a link that will just take you to today on whatever Bible reading plan you're doing. And I made that the home page on my phone's browser. So I haven't used that on the front of my Bible in a year. I just hit the button for my browser and boop, there it is. It opens up to my Bible reading plan today. Like one click. I mean, you know, I used to have to take the Bible out, open it, fine. What's today? February 25th. Now it's just... And there it is. If you don't want to read it, there's a little button with a speaker that you can push, and it will read it to you. If you're practicing Russian, it will read it to you in Russian. It has never, brothers and sisters, it has never been easier ever to get the scriptures into our hearts and minds. I'm talking about 10 minutes a day. I'm not talking about spending an hour studying, although please, if you want to do that, I wholeheartedly encourage you. I'm talking about 10 minutes a day. If you have a way right now that you already study the script, you already read the scriptures, you study the scriptures, you get scripture into your heart and mind on some regular, regular schedule, blessings on you, please keep doing that. If you don't, go Google Bible reading plan because I just did it. You will get page after page after page. And at least the first two pages are full of good links. I didn't go any further than that. 
You, you can find plans to read the Bible chronologically. You can find plans to read it sequentially. You can find plans to read it thematically. You can find plans that'll take you through certain parts of the Bible at certain speeds that'll do deep dives here and shallow it. You have so, so many options. You just gotta go find one, right? And if that, if that is too much for you, if it is too much for you to go and Google it and print one out and do whatever, then on the table in the back, we have printed them out for you. Okay, this is what it will take for you to get a Bible reading plan. All right, that's it. Then you will have one, right? It says the F260 Bible reading plan. That 260 means 260 days a year because you read Monday through Friday. I get it. Weekends are crazy. Our schedules are messed up. But most of us, Monday through Friday, have some control over our schedules and can find 10 minutes. For goodness sakes, keep it in the bathroom, right? You're going to sit there for a while anyway. You, it's not difficult. Five, two chapters, five days a week. You will not read the whole Bible, but you will, you will read all the significant parts. You will skip the repetitive ones. You know, the prophets, I've talked to you. You know, they go like this, right? You just keep bringing things up again. This reading plan will go bup, 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 bup. You'll just hit the main parts and keep going. Right? You do that for a couple of years, you will start to put the pieces together in your mind of what the Bible is saying, what's going on, why are they talking about this, why is he making these references? If you don't have a way to get scripture in your heart and mind regularly, then please just pick one of these up on the way out. I mean, it's, it's not even done by date. It just says week one. You can start tomorrow. You'll read Genesis 1 and 2. It's a great story. It's interesting. Again, it's like Stott said. We don't do this because it's hard or it's boring. We do it because we're lazy. Please, I, I beseech you, nothing, nothing is as significant in your life as a Christian as reading God's word. That is, now again, I'm gonna preach on prayer. I'm gonna preach on generosity. I'm gonna preach on silence. I mean, we're gonna, we're gonna talk about all these other really good things, but nothing and I mean that literally. Nothing is as powerful in following God as reading his word. So I'm gonna pray for us. And for all of you who are reading his word now, again, in whatever forms and fashions you're doing that, great, blessings on you. I'm gonna pray that the spirit tells you how pleased he is with that. That you know how pleased God is that you take his word seriously and read it. And for all of you who are not, I'm gonna pray that the Spirit just starts nagging you half to death until you finally give in to get him to leave you alone and pick up a Bible reading plan on your way out. Folks, it'll change your life. Like seriously, reading God's word, letting his word into your heart and mind regularly, it will change your life. Pray with me. Ah, uh, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I mean, I, I, I was a Christian for 20 years before I started reading the Bible every day. I'm sorry. I'm sorry it didn't mean that much to me for so long, but it does now. It does now, today, mean that much to me. And I know that's true for many, many of my brothers and sisters in this room. We are so grateful that you have left us your word. We have seen your word work in us and transform us. So Lord, for everyone here who is doing that now, I pray that they would feel your joy 
that, that they would know how pleased you are that they take your word seriously, that they want to read it, that, that they would just know deep in their hearts how delighted you are that, that we love your word the way you love your word. And Jesus, I pray for all my brothers and sisters here who are not reading your word. They are not delighting in it. They are not hiding it in their hearts, not doing any of the things that scripture tells us we should be doing with the scriptures. And Holy Spirit, I pray you would bug them. I pray you would nag them. I pray you would get on them. I pray things would pop up and stuff would happen and that you, you would make us. We so need to be in your word. We don't need to be Bible scholars, but oh, we need your word in our lives. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters who aren't doing that. They're just going through life, and so they are not wise, and they are not ready. And when trouble happens, they are not prepared, and they don't know how to make good decisions. If it was law, yes, we can all choose. We all know when Scripture says you must do this, you can't do that. But so much of life isn't covered by the laws. But Jesus, by your Spirit, please, Work these truths into our heart. Make us people who want to read your word. Make us people who delight in reading your word. As folks begin this, as they take a Bible reading plan and they try it, I pray you would bring situations into their lives immediately where they see the value and the benefit. That they would read Genesis this week and then something would happen and they would know, oh, wait, I've read about that. I know, I know what God thinks about that. I know how this works. But Lord, I pray you'd give us low-hanging fruit to encourage us. I pray for everyone who does not delight in your word, that you will change our hearts so that we do, that we delight in it, that, that we are unhappy when circumstances mean we don't get to read scripture that day. Oh, Lord, we so need your word in our lives. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would be at work in us to make that true. And I ask all this, Jesus, in your name, for your glory, but also for our great good, because your word will change our lives. We pray in your name. Amen.